it's about a $200 test, um, which I always remind them is the price of a good dinner. If they wanted to get a good <laughs> steak dinner, that would be about 200 bucks. And if they want to live to have more steak dinners, um, that, that they should get the test and, and, and understand their cardiac risk. Welcome back to The Curbsiders, the internal medicine podcast that uses expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice-changing knowledge. I'm Dr. Matthew Watto, here with my co-host, Dr. Paul Williams. Hey, Paul. Hey, Matt. How are you going? Uh, Paul, unfortunately, you might notice uh, I wasn't interrupted during the intro. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed you made it through an entire sentence. I was proud of you. And, Something feels different. And that, yeah, that, that means that Dr. Stuart Brigham couldn't make it tonight. Uh, I think he has a date night with his lovely wife, and uh, we don't blame him for that. So he also has five children, so I imagine, and three cats, which I realized on the last episode, I think he has as many cats as you, plus the five kids, Paul. So really, you're slacking. Or, or winning. It really sort of depends <laughs> on your perspective, I think. That's right. You're, you're watching 365 movies in 365 days. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my cats in my lonely, dark apartment. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to bring this episode to our listeners. We are pairing with the Society for Cardiovascular Computed Tomography for this episode and one future episode to bring you a show first on coronary artery calcium scoring, which is something that I think is still poorly understood, at least by most general practitioners, or maybe I'm just projecting on you all. In any case, that's what tonight's topic is, and on a future show, we will be doing one on coronary CT angiography, or CCTA. Our first guest, Dr. Hecht, is a nationally and internationally recognized expert in cardiac imaging and preventive cardiology and is the author of more than 150 publications in peer-reviewed journals as well as numerous book chapters. He pioneered the development of coronary artery calcium scanning and coronary computed tomographic angiography or CCTA. He is currently professor of medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, where he's the director of cardiovascular imaging at Mount Sinai St. Luke's and Mount Sinai West. He's one of the founders of and was the first president of the Society of Atherosclerosis Imaging and Prevention, as well as one of the founders of the SCCT. Our second guest, Dr. Matthew Budoff, MD, is one of the leading scientists and clinicians in the field of cardiac coronary calcium scoring and its impact on risk prediction, impact on patient management, and long-term outcomes. He has also published extensively in peer-reviewed journals and is currently professor of medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, where he is director of cardiac CT in the Division of Cardiology at Harbor UCLA Medical Center and an endowed chair of preventive cardiology. He has served in the past as the president of the SCCT, and we are so thrilled to have both both Dr. Hecht and Dr. Budoff on tonight's show. We talk extensively about coronary artery calcium scoring and how you can use this in your practice and how to interpret it. I think you'll find it very helpful. So without further ado, here's our interview on coronary artery calcium scoring. Welcome back to The Curbsiders. I'm Dr. Matthew Watto, 
here with my co-host, Dr. Paul Williams. Matt, delighted to be with you as always. And we have with us tonight uh, two guests. I will introduce first Dr. Harvey Hecht from Mount Sinai in New York and also from the Society of Cardiovascular CT. Hi, Dr. Hecht. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. And we also have with us from UCLA, Dr. Matthew Budoff. Hi, Dr. Budoff. Hello. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's great to have you both on the show. And we've been talking a little bit in the pre-recording here, but uh, before we get into the main topic, which is going to be talking about coronary artery calcium scoring, I did want to ask both of y'all just a couple basic questions. So Dr. Hecht, what would you say you're most known for as a cardiologist? It's really for pushing the envelope, I think. I've always been someone to try and adopt new things and Adopting coronary calcium is a prime example of that. And initially, it leads to a fair amount of battles, but ultimately, it's very gratifying to see that we've been proven right in this arena. And Dr. Budoff, the same question to you. What would you say you're most well-known for as a cardiologist? Yeah, I think uh, as a preventive cardiologist, uh, I think similar to Dr. Hecht, I've uh, I've been uh, helping uh, uh, form and shape the use of coronary calcium scanning and also cardiac CT in the arena of diagnostic uh, imaging. Dr. Hecht, what is a book that you think every physician should read? Wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, I really enjoyed House of God a long time ago. That was a really good book. Uh, Dealing with the frustrations and craziness that occurs in the medical profession. Dr. Budoff, any recommendations for the audience? Um, no, I, I, I agree with uh, Dr. Hecht. I think, uh, I think House of God is an interesting historical book that's, uh, that really puts things in perspective, uh, the, uh, maybe a little bit outdated now just because uh, residency and, and internship has changed so much and the, the hour restrictions that everybody's under. But I think that it's a, it's a very interesting uh, uh, perspective on, on, cardio, on, uh, on uh, being a physician in, 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 in the current environment. Yeah, it should be required reading just for historical context alone. Have you read it, Paul? Oh, sure. Yep, it's a classic. Yeah, I, I read it too. I, I actually waited till my first year as an attending. I, I was too afraid to read it as a med student and a <laughs> resident, but I, I've said this before. I think I would have been just fine having read it uh, at any point. I think it would have been helpful. Um, Dr. Budoff, I wanted to ask any specific medical app, like something like an Hippocrates that you would recommend to the audience doesn't have to necessarily be related to cardiology, but. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I like to, uh, use the, the risk calculators. There's, uh, a number of different apps that do that, but I, I think that, um, to get a handle on what, what somebody's intrinsic risk is for heart disease is helpful. Uh, it's still the number one killer in men and women. And I think we underestimate risk sometimes just by, by eyeballing a patient or asking them how they're feeling. So I do, I do turn to the risk calculator apps, um, um, uh, either Framingham or the ACC pooled cohort uh, app to, to, get, to get a handle on, on who, who I should be a little more aggressive on when I'm ta- thinking about preventive cardiology. Dr. Hecht, is there a specific app that you would recommend? What's an app? <laughs> uh, you, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you know what an app is, sir. <laughs> yeah, 
it, that, it, it, if you want to pass on that question, that's okay. I, I'll ask you a different question. How about what is what is the best advice you've received in your career in medicine specifically? Find a, a different job. <laughs> and how's that worked out for you so far? Uh, no, I get, see. It's good that you can edit all this. So the best advice I ever received was. Really just if you want to do something, just go and do it. You know, most things, you don't have to be a genius to accomplish a lot. You just have to really want <laughs> to do it and believe in it. Very good. I, I like it. Okay, one last question uh, for each of you. Uh, Dr. Budoff, can you tell us something, tell us and the audience something about yourself that we will never forget? I recently had uh, uh, my own scare with uh, cardiology and ended up uh, uh, getting uh, open heart surgery. So uh, that's something that's a little unique for a relatively young cardiologist to have to go through, um, becoming the patient instead of the uh, instead of the uh, caregiver um, and being on the other side of things. And I have to say, uh, um, it does bring you a unique perspective on on patient care and. Uh, um, issues of uh, privacy, uh, as well as uh, as well as issues related to uh, just you know uh, getting a good night's sleep, uh, <laughs> things like that. That I think we take for for granted when we're taking care of our patients and decide at two a.m. that it's a good time to to start asking them about their family history or <laughs> or weighing them for daily weights and things like that. Uh, that it's uh, really ends up. Uh, 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 becoming uh, quite a tiring experience. So I, I think that's been uh, my recent experience. That happened about a month ago, and it's been uh, an interesting ordeal being on the other side of the of both the knife and the uh, uh, the patient physician relationship. Wow, um, Doctor Doctor Hecht, how about you? Something we'll never forget. I went sea kayaking a number of years ago in Glacier Bay in Alaska in water that was about 33 degrees uh, for a week. And, and that was, I will never forget that. I hope you didn't fall in. <laughs> no, I didn't. So the, the, the mantra is that it's 30 seconds at 30 degrees. That's what you, the time you have to get it out of the water into the boat. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not very adventurous, so I probably will not be trying that. But I, I'm sure the scenery is beautiful there. It is. Icebergs, breaching whales. Very cool. Well, gentlemen, I know that you both are on a timetable here. I want to move into our questions about CAC scoring. And uh, Dr. Hecht, I'll open it up to you. Let's start very basic. If you were writing a summary for Wikipedia on what is a coronary artery calcium score, can you briefly tell our audience what that would look like? Yes, it's a low radiation, non-contrast CT of the chest that is the best predictor of your risk for heart disease. And Dr. Budoff, coronary artery calcium scoring is still a relatively new new modality and something that I think is a bit controversial. Can you tell us a little bit about why you think it's controversial or why it's still poorly understood? Yeah, so I mean there's really two two reasons. So the first and the first barrier that we had to overcome is that a positive scan does not imply obstructive coronary disease. And that was a big problem in cardiology because when this test was first introduced, if you had a positive test, 
be it a treadmill, a nuclear, a stress echo, that meant you had a, a blockage of more than 50% and you would be a good candidate for, for, for angioplasty or, or bypass surgery. And what's happened is we've moved from stenosis detection to atherosclerosis detection. And it takes some education that people can have a positive score, they have plaque in their coronaries, and they're likely to suffer an MI if they don't get treated, but the treatment is not rushed to the cath lab and put a stent in the mid-LED. The treatment is aspirin and blood pressure control and cholesterol reduction and diet and exercise. So it's really a understanding of what it is and a test of atherosclerosis rather than stenosis. Dr. Hecht, I've heard people say that you can have, calc- you can have calcified plaque in an artery and that tells us there's atherosclerosis, atherosclerosis there. But if you don't see any calcium, there still could be a plaque. It's just not calcified. So how do we, how do we take into account a patient with a coronary artery calcium score of zero? So if, if they're over the age of 40, then you don't have to worry about that. If their calcium score is zero, their risk is less than one per thousand of having an MI per year, 0.1% or lower, which makes them lower risk than if they had no risk factors or if you calculated their risk by any risk calculator and came out with low risk. So the theoretical concern of soft plaque remains a, uh, a not an, uh, an issue for patients because it doesn't invoke a heart attack. You don't get heart attacks from soft plaque. So you don't have to worry about those patients. The, the, the calcified plaque, the mixed plaque are the plaques that cause problems. And the event rates are so low with a score of zero, you've effectively identified them as a very, very low risk patient. And you should be less concerned about their cardiovascular health. So if I, if I might ask, and, and maybe just Dr. Hexer, we're sort of going back and forth. So my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that the CAC scoring, you know, a score of zero um, means the risk of an event is very, very low, a very high score, this sort of high risk. And, but my understanding is that this is a test that's most helpful for sort of your intermediate risk patients. So I guess my bigger question is, how do you choose what patients to actually send for uh, coronary artery calcium scoring? Well, it's become fairly clear-cut, although still somewhat controversial. Certainly, every intermediate risk patient, that is, every patient who's in the 5 to 20% 10-year risk calculation by the 2013 guidelines, uh, pooled cohort equations, every one of those should have a coronary calcium scan. And then there are another group of patients who are low-risk who should have scans as well, low risk by conventional parameters. And those are those people who have a family history for premature coronary disease. And in addition, there is a growing appreciation of the fact that diseases such as lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and HIV all the, and all the inflammatory diseases really have an increased incidence of calcified plaque and a higher risk for coronary artery disease. So we're sort of expanding it to the low, segments of the lower risk population. The only area that is officially, presumably not candidates for coronary calcium scanning are those that are high-risk patients in whom the assumption is, well, the odds are even after you do the test uh, that it won't change your 
decision that the patients will remain high risk. And in fact, that's, that's really true. It's the, the new pool cohort equations don't miss things as often as they over lead to over-treatment by overestimating risk in patients who really have none or very little uh, calcified plaque. So to summarize the answer, every intermediate risk patient, a portion of the lower risk population, and in the old, the high risk population, one consistent indication is somebody who is just really having a terrible time taking statins, well, or absolutely doesn't want to take statins until, until that person can be convinced of the need for it. In that case, then coronary calcium is appropriate in the high-risk population as well. Dr. Budoff, I wanted to ask you just if you could give us a brief example of how you might counsel a patient that you're planning to send for a coronary artery calcium score. Can you just tell them, do you have a spiel you give them telling them about cost and radiation, risks and benefits that might be helpful if our audience is going to be ordering this for somebody? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I had a patient this morning... um, uh, family history of heart disease, very concerned about heart disease, but by Framingham or pooled cohort risk was low risk because fa- family history doesn't count in the in the calculation. So I, I told him that we're going to send him for a coronary calcium scan, um, that the radiation dose is about the same as a mammogram. So it's less than one millisievert, which is considered low and much lower than background radiation. And that if the test is positive, in other words, if this person has calcified plaque, that we're going to go down the road of of statin and maybe aspirin therapy, that we're going to be more focused on heart disease with diet and exercise. And if the calcium score is zero and there's no detectable plaque, that we don't have to worry so much and we can wait a number of years before repeating the test. So uh, as far as cost goes, um, we're, we're fortunate now, Aetna just made a policy decision that covers coronary calcium for asymptomatic patients for a national policy. Um, And um, Medicare in California covers uh, calcium scoring um, and United Healthcare covers it. So we have reasonable coverage, although there's still that leaves a lot of HMO patients and Blue Cross Blue Shield that are not covered. In that case, it's about a $200 test, um, which I always remind them is the price of a good dinner. If they wanted to get a good steak dinner, that'd be about 200 bucks. And if they want to live to have more steak dinners, um, that, that they should get the test and, and, and understand their cardiac risk. And, and they probably shouldn't be eating too much steak if they're, if they're needing to see you as well, because that's going to maybe, in, uh, accelerate things, right? So, but, but that's my, true. So it depends on their score though. I can right. tell them better about their, their diet after I, after I scan them. CAC score of zero, go crazy with the steak dinners. Uh, but I, yeah, uh, still no, still no smoking. <laughs> I'd like to add a few things to what Matt has said about telling the patient before and during the review of the scan as well, especially for people who end up having high calcium scores and their initial response is of course, fear and, oh, God, can I get rid of it? What can I do to get rid of it? And the, the answer, the appropriate answer is to tell them, well, there's nothing really that you can do to get rid of it. But what's happened in the past is sort of irrelevant. At this point in time, the key is to prevent more from forming. And if you're successful at doing that, it really doesn't matter how high your score is right now. So you put it in the perspective of, yeah, there's a problem. The good news is that the bad news is that there's a problem. The good news is that nothing's happened to you and you have an opportunity to prevent an event at this point in time 
by aggressive medical treatment. I wanted to go back and ask, you mentioned the a CAC score of zero. I think it was uh, in Journal of American College of Cardiology a couple years back. They were quoting a warranty of 15 years. Uh, Dr. Dr. Budoff, can you talk about what do you think the warranty is? What should we consider the warranty with a CAC score of zero? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we have a lot of data in cardiology that if you had a normal coronary angiogram, in other words, no plaque, that you have a very good 10-year warranty. And I'd like to think that a calcium score of zero gives you at least that same 10 years. So while for some patients who are in middle age who might be turning into a high cholesterol patient over the next few years or might be developing some early diabetes, I might order it sooner. I really feel comfortable that their 10-year risk is quite low. And I tell them they absolutely don't need another scan for at least another five years. I think 15 years is pushing the envelope a little bit because over 15 years, we change as patients. We develop hypertension. We develop high cholesterol. Our blood sugars go up and we're now deemed diabetic. So I don't think you want to give it quite a 15-year horizon, but I think five is easy and 10 is probably safe. Now, I wanted to ask in terms of you know using the CAC scores, I know there have been some, I guess, risk prediction models that actually include that. Um, and I'm just wondering, sort of uh, practically speaking, you know, do you how do you use do you use any of those tools specifically, and then how do you actually use those scores to decide, you know, how to best optimize therapy? Well, the scores you're asking how we use the scores to guide therapy. And I guess I'm sorry, I apologize for not asking the question real well. I know that I think there's some risk models that actually include CAC scores within them. I think is the MESA one of them. Am I making that up? Yes, um, right. There's only there's only one that I'm aware of, and that's the MESA score. Okay. I'm just wondering, from a very practical standpoint, you know, do you use that, that scoring system to, to make decisions about starting statins or that kind of thing and how you go about that process? I personally do not calculate it. I, base, I just use the calcium score itself. Can you give us some cut points, Dr. Hecht, for the calcium score and, and how that would affect your treatment decisions? I know the AHA guidelines give greater than 300 as their cutoff. Yes, absolutely. There, there are really two versions of the cutoff. 300, which was posited by the MESA study, most people actually in the past have used 400, but because of MESA and because it is cited in the ACC guidelines now, we're sort of, we switched to using 300 as the definition of a CHD risk equivalent. So even if you're asymptomatic, you're at the same risk as somebody who has already had an MI. Scores of 100 to 300 are really intermediate risk. And scores less than 100 are low risk, with zero being the lowest risk. So we use these classifications, not necessarily the absolute score, but that bucket into which they fall, to determine how aggressively we need to treat. So anybody with a score of of calcium score of 400 or greater, or 300 or greater, they get their LDL down to less than 70 and do absolutely everything you can. If the score is greater than 300, you might consider doing a stress test to be sure that there is not a critical amount of ischemia, even though the patient is asymptomatic. For patients with very low scores, then you could argue with a zero score, you don't have to start the patient on statin therapy. Just repeat the score at a, to be determined, as Matt says, probably 10-year time in the future. And for intermediate risks and low risks, you just gauge the aggressiveness of your therapy accordingly. You would not have necessarily an absolute goal, 
because I'm not so sure if there's a magic number that fits everybody. But still, low-risk patient, you don't have to be as aggressive as for an intermediate risk. And a high-risk patient, of course, you have to be very aggressive. The other factor to consider is the prematurity of the plaque, which means how much plaque that person has compared to other people of a similar age, gender, and ethnicity. And certainly, and anything over the 75th percentile is considered to be high risk, although not with the same robustness that the high calcium score does. And certainly anything above the 90th percentile needs to be treated aggressively. So you can have a 40-year-old woman with a calcium score of three, and she'll be in the 99th percentile. And I would treat her as, as if she were a CHD equivalent. Is the test always going to be reported with the, the age age-related, or I think it's age, sex, and race-related percentile? Does that always come with it? So I would say that all, in all cases, it'll be age and gender. I don't think most, most people would calculate it based on race. And if you wanted to look at that, that's where that MESA risk calculator would be helpful because it does take into account race. So it's at uh, mesa-nhlbi.org, and people can actually plug it in. I agree with Dr. Hecht. I think the absolute score is more important. Um, rather than the relative score. But if you wanted to, to do that, it is available at the mesa-nhlbi.org website. And you could plug it in and do a, a race, age, gender adjustment. I'd like to turn for a moment to a slightly different variation, which is that the SCCT has just come out with a new guideline really mandating that coronary calcium scores be reported on every single CT of the chest, whether or not it's gated, because the scores are roughly similar. And I think this is particularly important for internists and primary care doctors who order undoubtedly very large numbers of non-contrast CTs for a whole variety of reasons. If your institution is not already commenting on whether or not there is coronary atherosclerosis, i.e. calcified plaque, and if they're not quantitating it, at the very least by saying none, mild, moderate, or severe, when you make the request for the scan, you should specifically say, I want a coronary calcium score. Now, since radiologists are doing the reading and they're quite busy, they're not gonna give you a quanti an Agatston score most of the time. But they will say none, mild, moderate, or severe. And that actually works fairly well in terms of prognostic value from non-gated, non-contrast CT scans. So this is something that should be done all across the country. It's in the SCCT and Society of Thoracic Radiology guidelines. And I think this is basically going to get free coronary calcium scans for potentially hundreds of thousands of people. Sir, and I wanted to, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I actually had a case example that I wanted to give you, a real life case uh, with the information changed for HIPAA reasons, but it was a, a 65 year old diabetic lady. She, uh, she had high blood pressure, high cholesterol. She was on aspirin and statin and medication for diabetes, but she had gotten a CAT scan of her abdomen for abdominal pain. And they noted on there that there was calcification of the right posterior descending artery. And she had gotten a hold of the report. She came to me. She was freaking out in the office. She said, my dad, my father died of an MI. What's going to happen to me? And what should I do? And she was asymptomatic. 
So she had this non, non-quantified, just incidental mention of atherosclerosis, and I wasn't really sure what to do from there, so I ended up sending her for a coronary artery calcium score. Um, but they, they ended up doing a, the calcium score. It wasn't zero, and then they followed that with a coronary CT angiogram. Is that something that you do in your practice, or is there another way we could have followed up this test that showed this incidental calcium that you would have done? I so, I certainly. Oh, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say I think that you either could have stopped at that point when she had that you know the 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 incidental finding. I think that since it was an abdominal scan and they they didn't see the whole coronary tree, I think it's prudent to have ordered a calcium score to get a better idea of how much plaque she has in her coronaries. We do CT angiography in some of those patients to get a better handle on percent stenosis. But I think that um, you didn't really need that because she's asymptomatic and her calcium score is positive. So I think that would have triggered uh, aggressive treatment. And, and I would say treatment is literally as simple as ABC. A is aspirin, right? So 81 of aspirin. B is blood pressure, C is cholesterol therapy, as Dr. Hecht already outlined, the higher the score, the lower the LDL target, and then, of course, D&E or diet and exercise, but it's literally just simple preventive measures. So an internist shouldn't feel compelled to take somebody with a moderate amount of coronary calcium um, and rush them to a cardiologist for further evaluation or cath. It's simply, they have swirly plaque, they need some uh, 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 cardiac uh, preventive treatments, which every internist is, is very, very good at, at providing. One other important sidebar, since we talked about non-contrast CT calcium, I'd like to briefly mention the newly reported strong correlation between calcification of breast arteries on mammography with coronary calcium on chest CT scan. So this is an opportunity for women to get an early tip-off that they're at risk. And if a woman does have breast arterial calcification, that's a signal for her to enter the the pool of prevention, follow it up with the coronary calcium scan, and then uh, act accordingly. And again, as interns and primary care doctors, it would be very reasonable to tell your female patients, when you have your next mammogram, be sure they mention whether or not you have breast arterial calcification. Dr. Hecht, just to go back to my case for one minute here, the other thing that came out of this, the patient was afraid to exercise before we had that follow-up testing. I, Because they had gotten the CT coronary, um, the CCTA as well, uh, we and, and it did not show any stenosis, she went, it was okay to go on exercising, but had the calcium score come back and shown calcium and they hadn't done the CCTA showing lack of stenosis, if this, if that patient's saying, well, my calcium scores 200 or 180, is is it safe for me to exercise? Because I've had two patients now that were afraid to exercise until I did a stress test after they had this. How would you counsel patients through that, that issue? I think if, if they are totally asymptomatic, and the calcium score is low to intermediate, then there is really no need to do any other testing before um, advising them on exercise. 
I think it's only when the calcium score exceeds really 400 that there's a reasonable pretest likelihood that there's obstruction to warrant doing anything about it. Okay. And I, I think if we with every patient who had a moderate amount, mild to moderate amount of calcium, it would add a, enormous problems. I wouldn't have been as aggressive. I really don't think the CTA added anything in that case. And this is why it's great to be talking to both of you because, uh, like I said, we it's it's still a little unclear. It was unclear. I'm getting much more clear about how we should handle these things. Let me help you with that for one second. The, the, my basic uh, indication for doing a CTA is if you thought about doing a stress test, do a CTA instead. Because the the, that's for symptomatic patients. Coronary calcium is for the asymptomatic population. Paul, I think you had a question about de-escalating therapy. Oh, yeah. It's a, thanks. And, and, and as always, this show feels suspiciously like a free consult. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess the question, going back to someone who has a CAC score of zero, um, is, there a, is there a role for sort of de-escalation of, say, aspirin or statin therapy in a patient who's already on them who then turns out to have a very low uh, a CAC score? So, so uh, I, I feel very comfortable uh, de-escalating therapy for a zero score. I would say a low score, I'd probably continue therapy because I believe they have some evidence of atherosclerosis and therefore probably prudent to continue therapy in my mind. Okay. Dr. Budoff, we're losing, we're losing the, the connection a little bit there. Um, I'm going to throw that to Dr. Hecht uh, just to clarify. Dr. Hecht, so the question was for a patient with um, a CAC score of zero and they're on an aspirin and statin already, would you de-escalate therapy? Would you potentially take them off a statin or an aspirin? Well, in general, I look at it uh, one of two ways. If they are statin naive, if they're not on a statin, then if they have multiple risk factors, I would be reluctant to de-escalate, but I would certainly not treat aggressively with a statin. It would really just be um, just to conform with what people expect one to do, even though I don't usually do that anyhow. But So I would not take them off a statin if they're on it, unless they said, I really don't want to be on the drug. But if the patient has a zero calcium score and is not on medication, I would start them on neither aspirin nor statin. One of the last questions I have, because Dr. Budoff, I know that I know you said you had somewhere to be soon. Um, Dr. Budoff, when you're educating fellows or when you're educating medical students or residents about coronary artery calcium scoring, is there a certain uh, certain studies that they should be reading or looking at to see where this evidence came from to help us develop these guidelines that the SCCT has come out with? Yeah, you know, I think it's always important to look at landmark studies. Um, I think the study you cited earlier, Dr. Min, published in Jack, the uh, 15-year warranty is a good study. I think uh, Mike Blaha, B-L-A-H-A, has written a number of good articles on the power of zero, um, talking about uh, the lack of coronary calcium. Um, Dr. Hecht and I have both published a lot on coronary calcium progression and risk stratification. Um, and there's some good papers out of uh, MESA, um, the multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis, that really shows in a large population-based multi-ethnic study how powerful this test is. Uh, the best paper is probably from Dr. Yaboa in uh, Wake Forest that shows um, comparing calcium scoring to Framingham risk, 
to C-reactive protein to carotid intimal medial thickness, that calcium scoring is really the best te- way to stratify risk in a patient to identify who's going to have an event and maybe more importantly, who's never going to have an event or not going to have an event for the next decade. Dr. Hecht, any, any other, that's, that's a lot of great information there and we can link to all those in the show notes. Dr. Hecht, any other studies, landmark trials that you'd like to, to highlight for our, the audience? I think Matt really covered them very well, but I, I would like to give, to make a comment and a word of uh, advice to younger physicians, particularly perhaps people in your group or residents or fellows even. When you're working with people who have not been out in the real medical world for a long time, they are very much under the influence of absolute reliance on evidence-based medicine. And it's been drummed into their heads that risk factors are the ultimate determinant. And so why do we need coronary calcium? And they, they know the studies about risk factors. And it's very, and it's, they are the hardest people to educate. And it's the same thing for the concept of CTA instead of stress testing. People in training are so grounded in evidence-based medicine that they are much less willing to consider something that's a little bit further out of the box albeit supported by a considerable amount of evidence-based medicine as well. Dr. Budoff, do you have any final parting words or or take-home points for our listeners? Well, I I just think it's really important to go back to just a very simple principle. So in in epidemiology, we always say that, and this is from Sir Jeffrey Rose, who's one of the best epidemiologists that that have existed, that the the best predictor of a life-threatening disease is the early manifestation of that disease. So we use that every day, right? I mean, we get a mammogram to look for early breast cancer to know who to do lumpectomy or chemotherapy on. We do PSAs or prostate exams. We do colonoscopy. Calcium scoring is the mammogram of the heart. It is the only way we know that we can look into the heart and find early manifestation of coronary disease to promote the utility of these preventive therapies that Dr. Hecht outlined earlier to really prevent a future heart attack. And we need to know who's at risk, right? I mean, you can be the greatest clinician in the world and you look at a patient who's thin and looks healthy, right? Jim Fix, a runner, and you're not going to predict that he has severe three vessel disease. You're going to think he's a healthy guy because he can run a marathon yet he drops dead while running of a heart attack. So we can't guess anymore. And risk factors are not good because risk factors are population-based. They're not individual. And just because a patient has hypertension and high cholesterol doesn't mean they have any heart disease at all. It just means they're at a slight increased risk of developing heart disease. And we need to know who has the disease and who doesn't have the disease. And that's what we call a calcium score. Well, thank you. I think that's a great way to end uh, the Society of Cardiovascular Computed Tomography guidelines, when can we expect those out uh, to help us um, kind of, yeah, when can we expect those out for car- coronary artery calcium scoring? Well, they are, as we speak, they are, going, they are being submitted to the Journal of the Cardiovascular Computed Tomography uh, for publication. So as many months as it takes to get it in galleys and in print, that's, which I'm pretty sure it'll be within the next six months. Okay, great. And we, we also plan, uh, I'm not sure who from the society is going to be coming on with us, but we will be doing a future show 
uh, on CCTA as well and how and for the audience to learn how to use that test as well. And, and I wanted to thank you both so much for your time, Dr. Hecht and Dr. Budoff. It's been really great talking with you both. And our pleasure. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on, and thank you very much for having us. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. You can find show notes along with links to any articles, books, websites, or apps mentioned on the show at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast. We're committed to providing you with high-value, practice-changing knowledge. So to do that, we want your input. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or send an email to us at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. You can recommend a future topic or tell us what you love or hate about the show. And finally, please follow us on our page on Facebook or on Twitter at The Curbsiders. Until next time, I've been Dr. Matthew Watto. And I remain Paul Williams. Good night, Paul.